0: The economy is not a combustion engine where you change a fan belt and it starts or stops. The economy is a large, complex, multivariate, emergent social phenomenon. And because of that, when you poke one side of the bear, you don't know how it's going to react. And it's an incredibly volatile and incredibly complex place to try to play God. And so the best choice is not to do it.
1: Hello there. How are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into today's interview, I do have a message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Casa. Whether you've just bought your first sat or you're a Bitcoin pro, you need to protect your investment. And the only person who should be in charge of your Bitcoin and financial freedom is you. And securing your Bitcoin doesn't have to be difficult because Casa makes it so easy for you. Getting started is super simple. You just download the app, create an account, and enjoy a 30-day free trial. And if you need some assistance, it's just a click or phone call away. Casa has the best-in-class customer support and free online resources to support you. Take your financial freedom into your own hands by self-custodying your Bitcoin so it can never be frozen without your consent. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is k e y s.c Next up, it's Ledger, and the world's most popular hardware wallet just got better. Ledger have recently announced the launch of the new Nano S Plus. With a larger screen, it makes it much easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions, and the Nano S Plus maintains the same high level of security as all other Ledger products. Now, I have been a Ledger user since 2017, and I absolutely love the S Plus. Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. Now, if you'd like to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, please head over to ledger.com, which is l-e-d-g-e-r.com. Next up, it is BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino and is trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide. Not only do they have cutting edge security, but fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. BitCasino has 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 a live chat support. To find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot and please gamble responsibly. Also, we have BlockFi. Now, BlockFi bridges the world of traditional finance and Bitcoin, empowering you for the future financial world. And for people in the U.S. who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides you the easiest way to earn more Bitcoin. There are no fees to use the card, no annual fee and no foreign transaction fees. And you can earn 1.5% back in Bitcoin on all purchases forever. And you know what? You can also earn 2% back in Bitcoin on every dollar over $50,000 of annual spend. If you would like to stack stats with BlockFi, then please head over to BlockFi.com to find out more and read the terms and conditions. All available at BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, We need to, we've got to stop wobbling this table because we've been wobbling the camera. We can come in, (laughs) come in. Elbows off. Elbows off. With your amazing voice, you didn't need to come so close to the (laughs) microphone. So let's set set the scene. I think Danny's going to join in a little bit of this. Oh, good even though it wasn't even at dinner because so so to anyone listening uh we me and uh, harry made a show the other day and then afterwards we went for dinner and we just went down this rabbit hole of a conversation we're like no that's the fucking show we should have made <laughs> so we're, we're back recording the other one is going to go into the dumpster fire we'll do that another day but um so let's set, let's set the scene you mentioned you you said bitcoin's a black hole yes and I was like, no, I think Bitcoin is the singularity, which is kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think like it's two concepts. Bitcoin is the black hole, but there is a singularity. And, and full
0: disclaimer, neither of us are physicists. <laughs> and so we're going to butcher some physics concepts today. How the I, fuck do you know
1: I'm not a physicist? Visually. <laughs> I got to see in physics. You're yeah. too good looking. I got to see in physics at school. I was shit. <laughs> uh, but, but I do, I am a bit of a space nerd. So I listen to... Uh, I think his name is Matthew Sutter. He's got a thing called Ask a Spaceman. He's like, it's like the Bitcoin, the What Bitcoin Did version of uh, astrophysics. <laughs> he does it for dumbasses. And uh, it's amazing. I watch every uh, space documentary. I just watched the one on, um, it was on Netflix where they like were trying to photograph the black hole. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. was really good. So you you said Bitcoin is a black hole. I was like, Bitcoin is this, the goal is the singularity I, I assume if we Google this, somebody else has probably already come up with this concept and written about it. If they haven't, we or I, you should do it. But I felt like this is actually, this is a really an interesting conversation. Do you want to give the background to, because you'd obviously been thinking about it.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, the, the origin of this for me was I spent a lot of time recently thinking about what is Bitcoin's actual core innovation. Um, and we, we hear words like double spend problem and Byzantine generals problem, but like, that's not actually the core innovation. That's the outcome from the innovation. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I did a tweet, um, that, that said that, you know, uh, the difficulty adjustment plus proof of work is the innovation. Um, and, and I've been workshopping that and thinking through that idea more and more, um, and, and, you know, Gigi has done a lot of thinking around Bitcoin as time um, and and a lot of these concepts and and Peter Ta has worked on the Open Timestamps Project. And, you know, I think there's a time leg to this. Um, But the unlock for me was the ability to to say that that Bitcoin tethers itself to, to physics in two different ways. Proof of work is the digital representation of the physical world. It's energy. And the difficulty adjustment is the representation of time because we cannot deviate from the target of an average block time of 10 minutes. And so the combination of the tether to the physical world and the tether to time in tandem has solved the Byzantine generals problem, has solved the double spend problem, has has solved all of these sort of more more of the computer science component um, of the project. But it's really those two core innovations, first and foremost, that has allowed Bitcoin to be an order of magnitude or multi-order of magnitude improvement on some of the existing technology stack. And and that's, for me, why it starts to look like a black hole.
1: Right. Okay. Let's go back a step. Let's make an assumption that some people listening who won't know what we're talking about. Some people might have not gone down, down the rabbit hole. They might have heard of proof of work. They might have heard of the difficulty difficulty adjustment. But let's explain what each of those are, as simple as possible, so people get a grip. And, and why, as an innovation, they're so important.
0: Yeah. So, so proof of work, we have Adam back to thank for inventing that. Um, and, and it preceded Bitcoin. It was the innovation that, um, that uh, the, the contribution of computing power to a network is the mechanism by which the cryptography is validated. So what do we mean by that? Bitcoin is encrypted. That means that, um, that the SHA-256 algorithm that, that governs the, the discovery of new blocks um, uses a, what's called a one-way hash function. Um, and that means that you put, you know, one thing in and something else comes out the other side of the hash machine and the ability to trace back what came out is not there. So there's, there's, you know, the, the reason that Bitcoin works is that um, it's very secure. So you are required to have the private key in order to spend the UTXO. All of this kind of comes together and works because of a combination of the, the cryptography around the actual wallet, but then also the security around the hashing function of discovery of new blocks. Okay. So, there's two security concepts there.
1: Okay. And that's proof of work. But but talk about the actual proof of work in terms of unforgeable costliness and why that's important. Because at the moment, Ethereum, an alternative cryptocurrency that some people are in favor of, some people think it's a bit of shit, is migrating from proof of work to proof of stake.
0: Yeah. So. So, um, proof of work and proof of stake are important to understand when you think about uh, money technology. What proof of work does is it sinks energy into the system, and there's no getting it out once you've sunk it in. So, what do miners do? They plug in a ton of servers, those servers consume a tremendous amount of electricity, and they p- Put their computing power into the, the effort of discovering new blocks and earning Bitcoin revenues. Once that energy is spent and once those blocks are discovered, there's no getting it back. And so the, the incentive structure around proof of work um, is such that the, the good behavior of the miners um, is, is, isn't insured, but it's, uh, but it's gained theoretically incentivized. And so all the miners are, are spending the money on construction, of their minds and spending money on you know moving the dirt and digging in the ground and buying the servers and then they're spending the money on the energy every single month um and so there's this enormous sunk cost into the activity of of uh, discovering new bitcoin blocks because it's very very valuable in order to get your hands on new bitcoin um and so there's this there's this um There's this enormous game theoretic incentive to continue to behave well, because the only way you're going to get any value out of those proof of work servers is to continue to support Bitcoin and to continue to generate Bitcoin revenue. So there's this there's this enormous industry, many, many, many billions of dollars um, in today's purchasing power that are contributed to the activity of securing the Bitcoin network through the constant spend into energy, constant spend into new servers. And this is incredibly um, high value activity because and we can go into why all these business models are exciting, but but it's an incredibly high value activity because each um, new block continues to affirm the security of all the past blocks. And so there's this incredible cumulative effect that's happening and it's exogenous to Bitcoin. So the burning of of the time and the expenditure into the energy um, is a sunk cost. It's exogenous to Bitcoin. Whereas if you look at a proof of stake environment and why that's different, it, the the, um, the quote unquote sunk cost is endogenous to the alternative system. It's inside the system. So the people who own the most of the token get to make the rules and get to determine how much of the token gets moved.
1: Sounds like the current central banking system.
0: Precisely. So pr- proof of stake is, is this, is this, um, Stakeholder concept. So your ownership percentage equals your influence. In Bitcoin, we've severed that relationship. So wh- whether I own one Bitcoin or a million Bitcoin, my ability to influence the system is unchanged. That's an incredibly, incredibly asymmetric um, difference in how the system functions and how the incentives are aligned. So you know, just by running one node, you have an equivalent. Um, equivalent voice within the Bitcoin ecosystem relative to a different node, regardless of how many UTXOs are are owned by that node holder. And so this is the social component of this, where, you know, we talk about rough consensus. We talk about, you know, these ideas around, you know, the Bitcoin, um, the Bitcoin network and the Bitcoin users governing the software. Um, Those are the people who have, who have um, leveled the playing field with each other rather than, rewarding those who own the most.
1: And with proof of stake, we should say that uh, Ethereum came with a significant pre-mine, yes. which was distribution of tokens to people involved in the project. Uh, in a scenario of proof of stake, they've established the monetary policy. They've distributed a large amount of tokens to themselves, and now they benefit most from the issuance of new coins and control of how the system goes. I I, could, I see how you could, uh, someone could... F- argue that they've essentially established a blockchain-based kleptocracy.
0: So I'll I'll tell you a brief story about the summer of 2020. Okay. When I was in a clubhouse room that was screaming about Bitcoin and Ethereum and, you know, everyone was everyone was arguing with each other and um, I think it was American Hoddle who who was speaking at the time and he and he sort of ran through exactly what you said. He said, you know, well, there's this huge pre-mine and Now the large holders of the token are introducing rules that make the large token holders, the rule makers and the and the deciders of how everything works. And and there was, you know, a kid who had to be probably 19 or 20 who was a big Ethereum, you know, maxi. And he and he was like, wait, 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 that's how it works. (laughs) And and so it was clear that, you know, he'd come into Ethereum later hadn't understood kind of the the history, the Dow, the mechanisms at play, you know, across that historical context. And, and was in this room with a bunch of, of, you know, you know, toxic maximalists who, who, you know, showed him kind of, this is what the system that you're assigning your time to. Because at the end of the day, money is a representation of your life. It is your time. And, and, you know, I think he, his eyes were open to this idea that, that, you know, maybe the system that he was opting into didn't deliver on the value proposition that he expected. Um, It was very shocking and very challenging for him, but but um, but ultimately positive because he was able to understand that Bitcoin by design does not function that way. It does not reward, you know, economies of scale to the large holders. Yeah, it is a naturally centralizing force within an, an ecosystem that that purports to be decentralized. Proof of stake is fundamentally centralizing and fundamentally untenable on any long-term basis to support any kind of positive sum economy.
1: And people will talk about fair distribution. You can't have equality in distribution, but you can have a fairer model. And the distribution of coins uh, via proof of work is the fairest that we have. It's the fairest consensus mechanism we have because you have to work for the coins. Whereas in a proof of stake system, it's less, less fair because you don't have to work.
0: Yeah. I think that, I think that this is, this goes back to this idea of exogenous versus endogenous, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin is a fully exogenous from inception ecosystem. And, and I think there's a bit of an immaculate conception thing happening for Bitcoin as well, where, you know, the, the being the first fully proof of work, fully, um, you know, maybe not, it wasn't decentralized the first day, but progressively decentralized, um, open network with fair distribution. Um, you know, I think that with each subsequent attempt at, you know, I think back to like grin was, was a quote unquote fair launch, um, coin. And so, you know, what we found is that simply by, um, simply by not being first, the ability to overtake Bitcoin's decentralization of, of coin distribution, um, is not possible,
1: and I think one of the outputs of this is going to be we have the merge coming for ETH soon. It is moving to proof of stake. I think, I think if ETH people really th- talked about it, and thought thought it through, they would they would understand and agree that the uh, consensus mechanism of Ethereum and uh, proof of stake is not as fair. It's not as good as proof of work, which means they're probably going to use a different angle to attack Bitcoin, like the Ripple guy recently, which is to uh, make out that Ethereum and proof of stake is energy efficient, whereas Bitcoin isn't. And, and I think we should just, r- you know, routinely tell these people to kind of eat a dick and fuck off because, um, but I think that's going to be a regular hit.
0: It, it already has been, it will continue yeah. to be, you know, I will pound the table in every venue that lets me to tell the world. Number one is that the energy that we consume is positive sum because it's energy that is not being consumed efficiently or advantageously in the markets that we're participating in.
1: Not always, but generally in trending that way. Trending that way. We, it's we, not every like. If we're going to be fair. Like, there are there are people who we, you know they're using other energy or they're creating energy.
0: A hundred percent. But 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 there's a reality within energy markets in the U.S. and elsewhere that the mandate, the contractual mandate of, of utilities is. Um, is reliability uh, and uptime, reliability, redundancy, and uptime. Those are the those Mm -hmm. are the mandates for the utility. So what does that mean? They're heavily incentivized to overproduce electricity, regardless of how many customers they have. So the ability to generate energy in the U.S. is greater than the average consumption because we've got to build an entire system designed around the high point.
1: Yeah, and we also covered this. We'll, we'll get Danny to put in the show notes in the previous time we covered it. Okay, let's uh, move on. Let's talk about the difficulty adjustment. And and I don't know the background to this. Was this a fluke? No,
0: no. The difficulty adjustment is like Satoshi's key insight into okay. how into how Bitcoin was designed. Right. Um, this is like the the the, the incredibly critically important um, piece of Bitcoin's design, game theoretic design, is that um, on average every two weeks. Um, I'll need to is it 2048 2000, 2000, blocks? No, 2016 blocks. 2016. 2016 blocks. I want to say 2040. I was going to say 2048. I better check. <laughs> to every 2016 blocks, the difficulty adjustment happens. And what that means is that the um, the amount of hash over the previous period dictates how hard it is to look for new blocks over the next difficulty period. So, so let's say that there's 10 computers looking for blocks in period one, and then we get to period two and five more join the network. And I'm using very basic numbers. So we're at 15. So the next time, then, so, so the, for the first 2016, there's no change for the second, 2015, the difficulty adjustment would move up 50% to true up, to, to continue to have on average 10 minute block times. And so, Let's, let's play out why this is so important. Imagine that we have um, an incredible new innovation in energy and you know we are able to bring on an energy source that is 10 times more efficient than what we have today. I would expect Bitcoin mining to go up 10 times because I'm able to consume 10 times more energy for the same cost. And so therefore I would expect a, an enormous amount of hash to come onto the network. The difficulty adjustment ensures that we can't accelerate Bitcoin blocks over time in any kind of, you know, significant and, and material way. And we don't want to as well. Absolutely not. We, we want, we want to have average block times of 10 minutes because that means that the issue and schedule is, um, is happening over the time period that we expect it to. It, it keeps it, it's the internal metronome of the system.
1: By the way, Tell me if you already know this question. I only want somebody who doesn't know the answer to answer it. But uh, it was um, Charlie Lee put out a tweet once, and he said, if a block has been found and nine minutes has passed, how long will it be till the next block is found? I know the answer. Do you know the answer? Mm -hmm. What would you think it would be? I mean, it would still be 10 minutes, right? Yes, always 10 minutes. Did you know that?
0: Yeah, this is this is if i flip a quarter and it turns up heads what's the likelihood that my next coin flip is going to be heads
1: it's the same it's the same yeah
0: and so that's you know so th- this is the this is the 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 beautiful innovation that that you know the sha256 hashing algorithm is is that it is a um, purely probabilistic environment
1: i mean i obviously said one, one minute, minute. <laughs> uh, of course <laughs> cuz you got to see in physics <laughs> and, <yeah. laughs> and charlie was like no it's 10 minutes i was like But it can't be it's like you know it is and then he explained a bunch of mumbo jumbo and i was like okay fine i trust you anyway (laughs) where's a ball (laughs) okay so those two create the black hole
0: exactly and so the this in in the same way that you know that moore's law in, in you know the 1950s doesn't look like anything super important is happening um it's just the very beginning of an exponential
1: innovation where does the 21 million come into that is that is that a third thing or is it they maintain the 21 million so this
0: is the, this is the this is my my opinion it's not it's not bitcoin gospel yet um, but it's that because we have proof of work and the difficulty adjustment and therefore the halvings and therefore the monetary policy all of that happens downstream okay. if you don't solve for those first two Elegant design problems, you don't get to enforce the monetary
1: policy. Hmm. I'm just working this one through. If you don't have the difficult adjustment, you can still enforce the 21 million, but it might happen quicker. I still think you get to maintain it.
0: You, you'd, be able, you'd be able to say, you know, I'm not willing to, to utilize it, but I, I think that the monetary policy is, a, is an arbitrary okay. innovation. Okay. These, are, these are fundamental innovations.
1: Fine, fine. Okay, anyway, I work with you, but, but, <laughs> but the black hole still requires 20, it, it doesn't require 21 million. It requires, requires a, a fixed, yeah, it requires a hard cap because that changes the dynamics of money that we have right now.
0: And, and, and in all time in history.
1: Yes. And the features you get from Bitcoin are the reason Bitcoin becomes the best form of money. I mean, did not you say the other night that you, it's not money? Bitcoin is software. Yeah.
0: Fundamentally, you know, in the, same way that, in the same way that gold is not money, gold is an element. Gold is chemistry. Okay, but where does money come into this? Money is the humanness that okay. gets applied to
1: the software. Fine. I think the 21 million hard cap is important for it to be the black hole as well to get to the singularity because it changes uh, going back to my interview with Jeff Booth in that when you have the ability to uh, control the spigot to print money you distort money therefore you distort markets therefore you distort people's earning potential you distort their purchasing power you decisions. distort their decisions everything gets distorted yes whereas with a fixed cap everyone and, and a fixed issuance everyone knows the rules and everyone plays the rules it goes from top down to bottom up Yes. Top down, a bunch of guys in a room, try and make a, a decision that has this kind of butterfly effect for everybody else. Bottom up, you know, the rules is how you, it's how you choose to navigate that. I,
0: I, to- I totally agree. I think, you know, I think the butterfly effect is the, is the right way to think about fiat um, first, which is just that, you know, we, we don't understand, you know, Janet Yellen came out yesterday and she said, You know, didn't really
1: get it. Sorry, missed this one. Yeah. You know. Thanks for paying me $250,000 to come and speak every dinner, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Correct. Whereas every Bitcoiner for the last two years has been saying, "Uh, if you increase the money supply, we're going to get inflation. Of course. Is she stupid or a liar? Um. Either way, she shouldn't be in a job,
0: but, but either, but either way, that job is the problem. She's not the problem. The, the fact that we have a secretary, a treasury secretary who has the levers of power that are so large and all encompassing is the problem. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm reluctant to say that they're, you know, that the bureaucrats are bad. I'm very willing to say the bureaucracy is bad.
1: Yep. Fair, fair.
0: You know? And so, you know, this is the, this is the, like the problem with, with having, um, you know, to me, it's it's like a like a total false sense of control. Right. We think that, you know, the economists, if they just tweak this little lever, the economy will work again like the economy is not a combustion engine where you change a fan belt and it starts or stops. The economy is a large, complex, multivariate, emergent social phenomenon. And because of that, when you poke one side of the bear, you don't know how it's going to react. And it's an incredibly volatile and incredibly complex, you know, place to
1: try to play God. And so the best choice is not to do it. So, so is it a neutron star, which explodes that creates a black hole and then it, it, and then it, um, collapses in on itself. Yeah. So that creates the black hole, Mm -hmm. our rabbit hole, uh, essentially Satoshi releasing the protocol created the black hole. And it's a small black hole. Yes. Yeah, that how discovered. Yeah. And then a few others discovered. But the black hole is uh is for me, it has its event horizon. Most people when they crossed it, they don't leave. You don't you you're in, I'm in, Danny's in, Jeremy's in, we're in. But but we have to cross the event horizon. And I think we kind of skirt around the edge of it a little bit to begin with. Well, we see the black hole we're like, ah, yeah, I'm not going to go near that shit. I don't know what the fuck that's all about.
0: Yeah, well, I think and I think that, you know, we can extend the metaphor pretty far and massive, say, you know, that let's just say that we're on Earth and we've got a telescope and we're looking up at the sky and we don't see the black hole at first. All we see is an absence. And we go through this sort of a, this astronomy phase where we're, 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 we're comfortable where we are. We're looking up. We're curious. We're not sure what's out there. And and the black hole is not the obvious point. You go and you look at the brightest star. You go and look at the nearest planet. You go and look at the, all these other things that are that are very apparent to the naked eye. And at the beginning, the black hole is just an absence. And then the absence gets very interesting. Over time. And you've got to keep looking, but you've got to engage with this with this new behavior, which is which is looking up at the sky, which is thinking about what does it mean to be a. Uh, Uh, an owner of my financial future? What does it mean to think about my time and think about my life in a critical way that lets me have a better outcome? And maybe that starts with me saying, you know, best thing I can do is invest in the S&P 500, my 401k. That's like the first, you know, that's the that's the baby step that is sane and rational and validated through my social environment and supported by my employer. And and it's a way for me to take ownership of my future because one day I want to retire. So, you know, you look up and you see Mars. But over there, further away is the absence in the sky. and, And over time, some people will get pulled to that place that isn't the easy, close, bright one. It's the further, less obvious absence that ends up becoming the most important force of nature in the broader universe.
1: Now, before we carry on with the interview, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Compass Mining, but they are not just a sponsor. I am also a customer of Compass, and I am back mining Bitcoin. And you know what? I've been mining for nine months with Compass now, and I've already mined 0.66 Bitcoin which has paid off two of my S19s already. Now any of you can start mining with Compass Mining, and to help you, Compass has launched their Compass Score to help you make informed decisions about your next mining purchase. The score highlights how good each ASIC deal is based on a number of factors like price, miner age, difficulty, hashing power, and the current Bitcoin price. Compass makes Bitcoin mining accessible to everyone, and as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. Now, if you are interested in mining or you want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io. Next up, it is Gemini, who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only buying right. We're HODLers, we're not sellers. I am also using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I have set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy. And Gemini has invested in building industry leading security since day one. And Gemini are now running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. So all you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade over $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. Forward slash WBD. I'm excited to announce my new sponsor, Cake Wallet, who I've recently started using as my mobile wallet for Bitcoin. Cake Wallet is a non-custodial wallet, which means it protects both your security and privacy because it doesn't share your important information with unnecessary third parties. And with Cake Wallet, not only can you hodl Bitcoin, but you can easily pay privately with Monero. It has advanced features for Bitcoin, including coin control and automatic address switching. And the app is designed to make it super easy to set up your wallet and back up your private keys. Now, if you wanna find out more and check out Cake Wallet, please head over to cakewallet.com or search for Cake Wallet in the Apple or Google app stores. Also, we have BCB Group. BCB Group provides online business banking for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am now a customer of BCB too. They heard about the difficulty I was having finding a bank and they also understand Bitcoin and they reached out to me. So I've moved my business banking across to BCB and I could not be happier. BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are now expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now, listen, I know some of you have had trouble with this too. And if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you will want to become a BCB customer. If you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. I like the idea of the singularity as well, because in my mind, Bitcoin is everything, eventually. And we're seeing that. Uh, I've talked about it on the show a lot. We have our Bitcoin, I'm going to kind of end up quoting Donald Rumsfeld here, but we have our known knowns. Yeah. <laughs> our known un, our unknown knowns, <laughs> or known unknowns, <laughs> and our unknown unknowns. So, our known knowns right now is it's the best form of money. It's 21 million hard cap. It's censorship resistant. It's permissionless. Yes. No one can fuck with my Bitcoin. My known knowns, I can learn that very on. It's the unknown unknowns. The first... Most important one for me is everything that's happening with mining. Everything we've talked about in our previous shows, what they're doing down at ERCOT, uh, what's happening when you're talking about uh, given the ability to uh, build out uh, energy infrastructure because uh, miners can take off the excess load. It's the uh, ability to use gas flaring to protect the environment. There is <laughs> again, I have to refer back to how. Apart from how tweeting out. Like twelve years ago, <laughs> I wonder what Bitcoin mining can do for the environment, which is fucking weird, man. Um, time traveler, time traveler. Um, apart from that, like generally speaking, I four years ago nobody was talking about this shit. I didn't hear it, and now it's all happening. And there's going to be there's going to be other things like that. That's the unknown unknowns. But the singularity is at the point where it's eaten everything. It's in every industry. It's the Bitcoin standard. Everything is well. Bitcoin is unique. A unit account for everything.
0: Yeah, I think I think that that's where that that is certainly the potential that it has for all for all of us. It it, and you know I I am I'm, I'm always hesitant to try to explain how a big system is going to behave. I'm not a macro guy. I'm just a I'm just a, one person making their own decisions day in and day out. And so the questions I ask myself around this are. What else would I rather own? What else would I rather be using? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm very hesitant to say that there's anything else that I'm interested in owning other than, you know, working hard on the business and being exposed to the business and and also owning Bitcoin. Because, you know, the reason being is that we are going through and, and when we talk about the black hole, I think about the expansion of the black hole as the monetization event of the asset Mm -hmm. and that we are going through this period of time where many other things are going to get demonetized and Bitcoin is going to get fully monetized. And what I mean by that is that right now, you know, a bunch of these other asset classes are getting a monetary premium assigned to them because global inflation is so insidious and so broad and so large. And so it's better to own your house than it is to hold cash or it's better to own bonds or stocks than it is to hold cash. And if you look, you know, historically, that that's not really how, you know, mature, harder moneyed economies functioned. And we're going to get the pushback and say, well, but this economy is so much better than every other economy ever in human history. And, and you know, we can we can debate that. but. I think that what's important is to understand is that the monetary premium that's been spread across all of these other asset classes are going to get pulled into Bitcoin over some period of reasonable time. And, and it's just because, you know, if, you know imagine, imagine that you have a newborn today and you want to save for their college education. What do you recommend buying for the next 18 years before that newborn is ready to go off to college?
1: I mean, it depends on the person. (laughs) I mean, I know what I would do, but I know I'd advise my brother. And there's slightly different things. What I would do, I'm a Bitcoiner. I just fucking buy Bitcoin. I know in 18 years, I don't have to put as much by. I like, I know, say you have to save $200,000 for college education, right? You've actually got to save more because by in 18 years time, if you have continual debasement of a 2 to 5% a year, I don't know what that works out. Of. Does that work out of 300000 Does that work out of $400,000? you you are constantly chasing. Whereas I know if I put $200,000 of Bitcoin by now, I'm going to have a surplus. Exactly. But if it's my brother, I'd probably go, <sighs> I don't want to give you wrong advice in case something goes wrong. Go a third Bitcoin, go a third gold, go a third cash. But I know what I do.
0: And this is, and this is the point is that, is that what Bitcoin does is it lets individuals extend their time preference horizon with a higher degree of certainty than anything else available to them them today,
1: you know? That's because around the uh, event horizon, we have time dilation.
0: Exactly. Time plays differently in Bitcoin world than it does in the rest of the world and that's by design that's because we have proof of work and the difficulty adjustment allowing for the time dilation to take place as the center of mass continues to grow and so with each you know with, with each additional cycle each round of of expansion of that center of mass more of the monetization across the rest of the world's assets get pulled in and the opportunity to pull in the next incremental asset goes
1: up Collapsing in on themselves into the black hole. Okay, so w- what have we swallowed up so fast first? Uh, it was energy you told me the other night, you think?
0: I mean, I, th- I think that right now, you know, Bitcoin mining represents a fundamentally transformative revenue stream for energy markets that has never been available before. So it's, it's a, it's a full blown zero to one innovation in power markets. So, you know, if you were running power markets over the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years, you've spent all of your time focused on cost management nobody has spent time thinking about the revenue side of their business or innovating on the revenue side you know you've introduced some peak and off-peak concepts into some of these markets and like the goal of that was to get households to run their dryers at night not during the day that was the extent of the innovation there was to try to you know slowly nudge people's behavior to get them to do their their appliance usage overnight. What that didn't account for was the ability was the ability to have, you know, fully dispatchable multi hundred megawatt loads being able to come on and off of an energy system in maybe not quite real time response, but pretty fucking close. So there's this huge, huge change in what does it mean to be a large scale energy customer? And what does that mean for the markets that those customers are participating in? So, you know, imagine waking up and figuring out that there's another 20 or 30 percent revenue in your energy system without having to invest another dollar of CapEx. Groundbreaking, groundbreaking change. And and we haven't seen that get fully priced across the spectrum. yet. so number one is that Bitcoin is going to buy more energy over the coming decades, and that's going to be an incredible benefit for individuals and for the climate and the environment and all of these things. Bitcoin mining is an enormous positive sum sector of the economy.
1: Tell me, do you um, do you walk into energy companies who kind of have no real or limited understanding of Bitcoin, sit in front of them, give them a presentation of this subject and watch their blind brains kind of explode? Have you had those reactions?
0: Over the last three, four years, absolutely. So so the <laughs> there's one there's one interaction um, that was great was was we went in and we, we walked them through how we want to be a customer, right? I, I walk into an energy company. The first thing I tell them is I want to be the best customer you've ever had. I don't want to introduce any strain to the system. I want to buy your least valuable hours. I want to do it. I want to do it really cheaply, but I'm willing to work with you along every other vector other than price. That's hey. the, that's it.
1: And you can turn me on and off.
0: You tell me on, off, up, down, half, full, whatever.
1: That's all priceable. I mean, that is the best customer they can possibly ask for. Yes, exactly. I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, think of an analogy for any other industry where you would have such an amazing customer.
0: We, we try to make it really easy. Oh, and we don't need, you know, we don't need all these other things, all these other, you know, redundancy, you know, imagine Facebook showing up and saying, you know, we want to build a hundred megawatt data center. That really means 300 megawatts of, of infrastructure because they want full up time and they want to do it with solar and they want to do all these, other, you know, and, it, and it just becomes this like total, and oh, and they want to never pay taxes for the next 15 years because they need to be incentivized because 10 other places are competing for them. Whereas we want to go to a community that does not have a customer like us, we want to be the biggest buyer of energy in your market because nobody else has chosen to go there because, you know, you know, what we don't need to do. We don't need to be 15 feet from the interstate and be on a major shipping hub. We don't need you know, we don't need a massive amount of land. We're able to do this on a much smaller footprint than most other businesses. We're able to to, to we solve all of these traditional hard to manage concepts. We don't introduce strain. We don't we're not a, we're not a pain in the ass. We're pretty helpful. We're pretty useful. Um, and we just want to be a benefit to your env- to your environment. Like this is this is the point is that we care so much about price that we're willing to work with you on every single other factor.
1: And is it like just sign? Can, can you sign up now, please? It's it's a little it's a little more complicated than that. So do, so do walk, they feel like they're being tricked or something? Yes.
0: So that's exactly that's exactly right. So we show up and we we walk them through kind of what what are our you know power purchase model looks like and what we want to how we want to interact with you and they're like but can you actually do it like does it actually does, does this actually work yeah we can show you operating data you know and this isn't this isn't like a this isn't like a hypothetical thing this is like a what is already happening at large scale today we just want to grow this massively um, and we being our entire industry uh and so you know this is this is um an incredibly exciting time When I think we're seeing some of the large um, the large energy, you know, project developers starting to get get hip to this, we're starting to see utilities understand this. You know, I think that we're going to wake up in five to 10 years and every single town is going to have Bitcoin mining in it to some degree as a load balancer for their energy system. And it's good. You know, so there's there's sort of two ways to think about it, right? Like we we're used to thinking of energy as this like scarce resource. Um, when really the scarce resource is our ability to think aggressively about bringing low-cost, reliable, and renewable power to individuals. Like it's our it's our will to build this that is the scarce resource. Like we're not running out of energy.
1: Are there any losers in this? Any businesses being destroyed? The challenge
0: that could come from some of this is um, is around the lag. It's it's a timing issue. So the lag between new Bitcoin miners wanting to come to a neighborhood near you and the energy infrastructure back end catching up to the increased demand. So there's going to be the miners are more nimble than building a new power plant, And so there's going to be some, some push and some pull, but I think over time that's going to normalize, you know, really significantly as we see further commoditization of mining hardware, we're going to see, you know, further, further, um, you know, growth and, and cost of capital. Dropping for some of these mining operations, so the ability to have you know a truly flexible load consumer is going to increase. So you know, imagine we fast forward you know twenty years, you know maybe the Bitcoin mine is only running twenty five or thirty percent of the of the week, just when just when needed to balance, rather than needing to hit like eighty or ninety percent uptime in order to amortize and pay off those servers. The server costs have come down, the cost of capital has come down, the cost of energy has come down, and so it becomes you know, this um, this this, you know, totally opportunistic layer of the energy stack where the revenue that gets put back to the utilities and to the energy generation folks just means that they're able to continuously invest in better and higher quality service, you know, higher environmental stewardship. And they're able to to actually have the revenues to improve the systems rather than wait for government subsidies to come along and, and save them. Or you know the the you know the public dollars needed to upgrade things. They actually have a profitable business that can invest in in the improvement of services, rather you know rather than you know some of these other sort of less market driven solutions.
1: What about with money? Um, if we had a stable dollar stablecoin on the Lightning Network, um, my assumption with that is that becomes a real significant problem for. Uh, Visa and MasterCard on debit. Not so much on credit, because I don't believe we have a decentralized credit on the Lightning Network yet. Someone may invent something. Um, We have some centralized possibilities with some of the entities who uh, work in Bitcoin finance right now. But uh, uh, stablecoins have become very popular globally, uh, especially in developing markets, mainly operating on alternative protocols. But if we had a Dollar stablecoin on the Lightning Network, and I know Jack Mallers is doing something kind of outside of it, on top of it, but like an actual stablecoin natively within the Lightning Network. All those fees which Mastercard and uh, uh, Mastercard and uh, Visa take from the retailers, that percentage or whatever it is, three whatever, yeah, they they are destroyed. They're gone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know that might even that that will lead to two things: either a lower price for the consumer. Or more revenue for the retailer. But either way, you've removed that percentage. It doesn't exist anymore.
0: Well, I, I guess, I guess I'm, I'm sometimes confused why, you know, we, we make Western union, the boogeyman and not visa and mastercard, right? Like what's the difference between 13 or 30% or 3% fees. It's all rent seeking extraction, right? You're, a, you know, you're a, you're a, a natural monopoly on these payment processors. You've inserted yourself into the transaction cycle. And at the end of the day, the individual is paying the price for that. So why would a technology upgrade not fundamentally disrupt you and remove you and strip the cost out of the structure?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, they provided a service, it's a useful useful service. It's useful for me coming here to the U.S. that I don't need to exchange money. I can, on my phone, double-click and I can pay. That is a useful service and there's a, there's a charge for that. Of, they've of they've just been out i just think they've been out innovated exactly
0: and and that and that's the thing is the technology is fundamentally deflationary
1: it's like the end of uh, fight club <laughs> if you have by the way if anyone listens to this hasn't seen that film go watch that fucking film it's really good but it's the end of fight club
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's blowing up of the the banks of the banks yeah the well the payment processes.
0: the destruction of consumer
1: credit yeah well <laughs> No, it's not. Because I still think you have credit. Consumer credit, I think, is different from debit. So debit is the, just, just the payment process. Yes. But credit is a different. If I don't have credit, sometimes I want to buy things when I don't have it. All dollars are credit. You know what I mean, though. There's, there's a slight difference. <laughs> like debit is like the money I have, let me pay for something. Just yes. Come from my bank account. Credit is the money I don't have, I'll pay it at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. Incentivized. Um, which you can gain in certain ways. But what I'm saying is, it, it it at least gets rid of the debit part. Yes. Now, hopefully, if you're owning Bitcoin, you won't need credit because you've been financially responsible. And-
0: that yeah, that's the that's the goal. Is that is that you know the the removal? You know, we talked about the butterfly effect. You know, I think credit cards are a huge contributor to the butterfly effect. They're incredibly useful in a fiat environment. You mean I get to borrow the money for free for 30 days? Who wouldn't take
1: that deal? You, and and you actually pay me now. Exactly, yeah, and you give me whatever cash back or yeah. those other programs. I, I get four flight flights a year for free just for using your free thirty days credit
0: and And so what that says to me is that they're generating revenue somewhere else within the system, looking at the retailer you know fee that ultimately I'm ending up paying anyway. yeah, um, and then the other piece is that there's some significant percentage of folks who don't pay their bill at the end of the month. they borrow it for longer than thirty days and get charged you know fourteen and a half percent. On that money and still pay it
1: back or we'll never pay it back and stuck in that cycle that's the other option what about what about the uh the, the destruction of the banks themselves will i need a bank account in 15 years 20 years i
0: don't think you'll need a bank account but i think that banking services are ultimately just a certain you know a service i think that
1: but anyone know, can provide them cash app can provide them
0: and cre- and credit unions have been thriving for a long time you know lo- local merchant and regional banks i think that it's the you know, I think that the attempt to to have banks achieve network effects is really sort of the, the challenge and that what Bitcoin does, is it, bre- it breaks the banking network effect. It doesn't remove the need for banking services.
1: Yeah, interestingly, I haven't used a high street bank now for quite some time because one, I lost one. <laughs> <laughs> the known story of Lloyd's closing down my bank account, you motherfuckers. Um, and you can just download an app and have a bank account and a card available in minutes now. So you've got these neobanks, which is like the next step forward. But in terms of what I actually use my neobank for, there are direct debits, payments. Yeah. But if you move to a Bitcoin wallet, a Bitcoin wallet can I can spend money. Um, I wonder if you can get to the point of direct debits. Uh, that's a bit more difficult, like, I guess, regular payments.
0: There, uh, yeah, there's ways to do it. I mean, I think that, you know, ult- ultimately software just replaces these things over time and that and that they'll be, you know, the, the the great part about Bitcoin being a protocol is you can plug it into a bunch of different kind of software front ends and the innovation can happen at the software layer and the protocol can function exactly
1: the way you expect. So banks die and you just have finan- uh, providers of financial services. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So why do we, why would we need a central bank then? <laughs> we won't. We
0: won't. So, I mean, this, the central bank, is, the central bank's core has, has a few core functions. You know, they tell you that the core function is, um, you know, full employment and, and stable prices. That's what they will tell you that the dual mandate is. That's what your economics textbook will say to you. But, you know, it also provides other, um, especially on the dollar side it, it provides you know other services that are related to dollar hegemony which are things like settlement assurances so you know Switzerland's account at the US Fed uh, and England's account at the US Fed the reason why they feel comfortable doing business with each other via the US Fed is because of of dollar hegemony in that environment and the central bank and fed wire as a facilitating mechanism for settlement um which you know bitcoin solves settlement
1: can you see a scenario whereby we have a move back to the era of free banking? I discussed this with Lynn Alden recently, whereby perhaps we have some issuance of some form of currency, which Bitcoin backs.
0: Um, I mean, it's listen, any, any free market solution that people want to engage in, I think over time we'll use Bitcoin to engage in an experiment with. I think it's a function of adoption, not a function of experimentation. So I think we we could certainly see attempts to focus on that. I think we could definitely, you know, if, we, if we're if we able to achieve, you know, what I think is in the works on Lightning and on Tarot and on, on some of these other um, more expressive Bitcoin based environments, I, you know, I think we'll see significant uh, experimentation there, um, which is exciting, but ultimately may not be the most interesting use of Bitcoin.
1: What about governance and politics and this way we govern ourselves? How do you think that changes? I've not really heard you talk too much about this.
0: I, I am I am firmly in the camp that um, that any any economy and any country and any any group of of loosely organized um, people are really just the sum of the individuals. And so I think that that you know the ability for individuals to engage with each other on an opt-in basis is, um, is, is, is really the foundational component. So I think a lot about what we've gotten right in America, um, and some of what we maybe have gotten wrong. You know, I think that, I think that we, we largely got it right, uh, around, you know, the, the, you know, first, second, third, fourth, fourth, 14th amendment, you know, are, are all really, really, really critically strong pieces of, of governance infrastructure. And, layered on top of that is it's very, very difficult to change. And so similar to Bitcoin like the consensus, U- exactly. So similar to Bitcoin, the US government and the framers of the Constitution did an incredible job designing a system that is a very strong from its foundational you know, components and b very hard to change. Uh, and so those um, from a governance standpoint, that means that we've we've kind of offloaded a lot of the next level governance to higher layers of interaction. So, you know, maybe that's a, a local uh, or a state constitution that, that gets amended or that gets changed more easily because there's a more um, maybe there's a more homogenous population you know, from an ideological perspective in a, in a state or in a community, um, but also It means that the you know, the judicial system holds a really significant lever over how the hard to change things get interpreted. We're seeing a lot of that, you know, more recently. Mm -hmm. So these layers of of, you know, foundational components um, and difficulty to move them um, is is really at the heart of why, you know, the American system is um, is thought of so highly and, and has been so successful to date. You know, if you look at the places where we've had challenges, it's really around the interpretation layers. It's not around the fundamental layers.
1: Yeah, to, correct me if I'm wrong here. I've, I've read the Constitution through once. I've not really read all the Federalist Papers I mentioned to you the other day. I've, I've got them open. I'm, I'm about to start on them. Uh, did they address uh, the size of the state in that? Because that this appears to me to be the biggest problem, is that the, the state has grown so... So fucking big. What why did we who was it yesterday? Was it Peter Doyle? Yeah. Who said forty percent of yeah, let me pull it up. Yeah, it something like forty percent of all tax dollars go towards funding the state or forty percent of GDP. It was, it was yeah. Spending to G the spending to GDP ratio is forty percent.
0: Mm-hmm. so this is this is the fundamental problem with GDP, the calculation.
1: I just get sorry, I'll just get back one step. I, I think I remember Jameson Lop tweeting something once when tax was first introduced and it was a 1% taxation. And I can't remember what for, but I remember the introduction of it. him, him showing that introduction. You're now at the point where the state's grown and grown and grown and grown. I, I don't know if this is something they didn't consider or they considered. But it seems to be the size of the state was one bit that's been missing from the constitution that might have been helpful.
0: Yeah, I think we just don't have a lot of evidence that the government is that good at solving many of these problems. And, and I think, you know, it's the, it's the classic meme of, of, you know, I'm new to Bitcoin and I'm here to fix it. You know, I think that's kind of how the government shows up to most things. I'm new to this new thing and I'm here to fix it for you. We're going to regulate it and then it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, or we're going to tax it. And now everything's gonna be great. You know, and, and I just don't think we have a lot of evidence that that's um, that that's what happens. Uh, and I I think that there's there's sort of two insidious forces at work. Um, one is that the government uh, capital, you know, the federal government, but the state to state governments, you know, to some degree as well. um once they get power, they don't give it back. They're, very, you know, How many what what percentage of of Americans, you know, think that the Patriot Act was a great idea today? It's not that many, but that's never going away. Those those surveillance capabilities, those, you know, those privacy protections are gone and and it's going to take a long time to, to approximate getting them back. And the way that we'll get them back is through asymmetric cryptography, not through the government giving us permission to have our privacy back. So there's this there's this creep component to it, um, but then the other is that well there's three I guess. The second is that is that you know the government is very bad as a capital allocator, and so a dollar that the government spends doesn't go nearly as far as the dollar that private enterprise spends because it lacks competition. It lacks there's lots of structural
1: employs morons.
0: Yeah, so it, you know there's a there's a talent problem, there's a competition problem, there's an incentive problem, you know.
1: Accountability problem. Well, you
0: know, you know, Congress. You know, let's say Congress is going to go sign a trillion-dollar spending bill, and there's government contracts that are part of that. There's an intense competition, state by state, vote by vote, to get that contract allocated to your state, regardless of the quality of the product and regardless of um, of the pricing mechanism. There's a huge incentive for a representative or a con- a Congressperson or a, s- a senator to have the the government contract a- awarded to their a business in their state, so they can maintain their ability to get reelected. So the incentive structure is just immediately broken. So we need to go to some kind of blind bidding system or some, you know, something, you know, more reasonable from a capital allocation perspective, not just, hey, I don't care the quality of the product. You need to award this contract to my state or I'm not going to vote for it. And when you need a simple majority to pass something, the practice of buying votes with the allocation of pork in the barrel becomes the, the guiding principle rather than delivering the best outcome for the American people.
1: So perhaps a Bitcoin is a forcing function for the for the state to become better capital allocators.
0: Bitcoin is just an is just a de facto austerity measure. Yeah. Right. So if, if you can't print more of it, you don't get to play games with the money.
1: I still or people, people who hold as a Bitcoin right now are paying tax on their Bitcoin. Not everyone, I assume, but. There're plenty of people are, and I don't see that being eliminated for now. So there becomes a scenario where potentially there's a transition where the dollar dies, the government is getting tax receipts in Bitcoin, but their ability to you know grow the state or fund state operations is becoming limited because uh the, the dollar's dying. They can't print it, but they do have this Bitcoin. So then they have to allocate it and mm-hmm. they have to budget. Exactly. And yeah. they can't tax too high because if you tax too high, people will move jurisdiction. So it
0: it is a forced austerity. And and just, you know, we can look at the natural example in France recently where they introduced that that millionaire's tax. And like 70% of the people left the jurisdiction. It's like <laughs> this idea that, that, well, you know, people don't really vote with their feet. Give them a good enough reason to and they will. Of course. Um, you know, and I, I don't take the, I don't take the direct approach that like, I think, you know, I think the dollar is like doomed and Bitcoin is here to eat the dollar overnight. Like I, I think that, you know, I think that moving towards a harder monetary system over time is a valuable way to engage with this stuff. And that, and that, you know, fundamentally, this is just a technology improvement around how individuals can relate to each other on an opt-in basis. And so over time, I'm just going to continue to vote with my, you know, with my paycheck and say, I don't, I don't want dollars. I'd rather have Bitcoin. Um, and I think that that's the mechanism by which, you know, a peaceful, um, and prosperous transition can happen is just, you know, people make, you know, more people own stocks than own dollars today. And so I think in the future, we just see the same dynamic where more people own Bitcoin than dollars today. And, and eventually, um, and eventually that change can happen, but, but there's, you know, we, it's not like we've got this like thousand year history of a single currency, you know, governing the world, we've we've got monetary transitions and reserve currency transitions, um, time and time and time again that we can point to, um, and some of them come with incredible unlocking of an innovation and opportunity, and some of them come with with challenges to the you know to the, the the country of origin from the prior regime, and and so it's it's a it's a fluid and dynamic process that I think we're we're in this really exciting moment of monetization of a monetization event in a new asset
1: some dinner you missed, by the way, Danny. It sounds like it. Danny, anything you want to ask? The only thing I was thinking is, so whenever we speak to anyone on like macro stuff, they say this
0: like next decade is going to be like high energy prices. What impact does that, will that have on mining? Yeah, I think that, um, I think that, you know, energy markets are definitely something that miners think, you know, broadly about, um, and are, and are exposed to, uh, you know, I think like most things, the harder the environment, the more innovation gets rewarded. And so the ability to bring more flexible and aggressive business models to market, the ability to have, um, you know, vertical integration uh, available, I think, you know, the, the folks who have low cost of capital and scale are probably gonna be disproportionately rewarded in a more challenging market environment because they're able to drive down the marginal cost. They're able to be, you know, not just miners, but capital allocators within the context of these markets. So I think that, you know, it's going to, it's going to reward the, the, it's a barbell, right? It's going to reward the scale players, the large ones who are able to, to strike economies of scale driven deals and creative and flexibility. It's also going to reward the very small guys who are able to find, you know, innovate, you know, innovations that don't scale. So maybe it's the flared gas guys, maybe it's the ability to buy a distressed wellhead, or maybe it's the ability to, to, you know, enter into an unusual, Situation that doesn't grow to five megawatts or ten megawatts or a hundred megawatts, but for one or two megawatts, that's a nice that's a nice small business.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Hmm, I'm looking forward to whatever the next unknown unknown is. I'm intrigued to see what what we eat next. Um, do you want to tell anyone anything about grid before we? Uh... Um, we're grid. We mine Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm Harry. I'm Harry from grid. Um,
0: I have the the most beautiful voice in Bitcoin. (laughs) As long as you keep letting me talk, I'll keep talking. Um, I I have to say um, my mom loves your show.
1: Well, I love your mother (laughs) and I appreciate her being a fan of the show. I, you know, I, I seem to have like a few mothers who like the show. Uh, Who was it? Dylan Leclerc's mom. Yeah. She likes the show. Um, Somebody's um, 94 year old mother found the show on Facebook, told, told, you know, grandmother told them, uh, I found this Bitcoin show. it's like, yeah, that's my buddy. I remember who that was. (laughs) What Bitcoin did is the uh, the favorite podcast of Bitcoin mothers around the world.
0: Most important demographic.
1: Yeah, man, I love you. (laughs) I love you too. Uh, Harry, thank you so much. How do people follow you? Uh,
0: On Twitter, Harry underscore Sudok. My DMs are open. I accept resumes. Just just keep working on Bitcoin.
1: Someone needs to take this idea and run with it. It feels like a Tomer. A it Tomer. does feel like a Tomer article. Yeah, it feels like a Tomer article. I'm going to forward this on to him see Good. if he wants to. He did the Bitcoin brain. Oh, yeah. The, the,
0: this is, so, and, I, and I'll say it on, like, Gigi is my, is my, like, Bitcoin big brain spirit animal in all of this. Uh-huh. I think, I think he's so brilliant. And I think he's such a, he's such an important thinker. Um, him and Alan Farrington on, on Bitcoin is Venice. you know, those are the two, those are the two people who, when they write stuff, like I cancel meetings to go read it.
1: I'm with you on both of those. All right, dude, look, keep crushing. Hopefully I'll see you soon, man. Not sure when, not sure where. Enjoy Nashville. Yes, brother. Shame, you can't, can you come with us? I wish. I'm in, I'm in Austin next week. Hmm. Can you come on the way? We'll talk about it. Okay. <laughs> All right, take it, brother. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, then please head over to the What Bitcoin Did Telegram channel. And if you want to support the show, all we ask is you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review.